Let us not be ashamed to speak what we shame not to think. Michel de Montaigne In a realm abound with fragility and fabrication, truth is forced underground. We must, as sentinels do, provide sanctuary to the marketplace of ideas. And so, let us prepare to proclaim boldly and contend forthrightly before the court. This is Candor and Counter. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Candor and Counter, the second part to Persuasive Discourse versus Divisive Discourse. Like always, I'm David. I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. I don't want to say I didn't learn much over the week, but it was like... It was all reinforcement for the most part. Of course, I don't think we were going to change perspectives because, like, we all came to the realization that it was it was sort of black and white in the fact that yeah. right. divisive language was right. a bad thing. Divisive language was a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, there, it was labeled because it's a bad thing, I assume, anyway, because people recognized it as a bad thing. There, yeah, so, of course, it's like... There's obviously one that is better for humankind, just in yeah. general. When I was doing research, I was thinking... It's not really about whether we're going to change our perspective over what is divisive language. It's how, as human beings, do we handle divisive language going forward? Or how do we handle our own language going forward? The most important thing when it comes to our current climate, the one thing that you can change is what you take responsibility for. It would be your own actions and your own words. Did you guys find anything that kind of led you toward the uh what we ended up asking ourselves are you referencing the pros and cons yeah about the pros for divisive discourse no i mean i I didn't even know how to search for it honestly yeah like when i went to search it was it it was just like asking is divisive i mean when i started looking up it was one of those like obviously you're not gonna find any postings saying yeah, splitting splitting up people's brain. yeah right. It's like but well, but, building animosity is never a positive right. thing. So instead of looking to the internet, I started looking inward mm. uh, and like defining divisive to myself and what divisive would mean uh, and how it could affect people in all kinds of ways. And I found now I'm not saying it does this in a healthy way. I I even think persuasive discourse does this better but it could help people well it would force people to realize that everyone is different and they don't have the same views it is the smallest positive inkling okay that i could find I get right for devices the sort of like agreed to disagree ground sort of well n- no because i think that's persuasive right be like yes I realize we have two different ideas and that's okay with me. That's yeah. that that's the agree to disagree. But divisive using divisive discourse makes you realize that there are two different groups and they are separated for a reason. It's like taking a highlighter to that fact. Right. Yeah. Or amplifying that. 
and I'm, it's not a healthy way to do it or any, anything like that, but it is. It speaks to it. Right. But I guess if, I mean, you have the verses there in between the two. So you are comparing them. And in that case, if you're comparing persuasive versus right. divisive, yeah. it still wins yeah. out. Like you said, you think persuasive still oh, does absolutely. it better. So when we first got the topic, I'd never heard either of the term either of the terms. Obviously, I mean, I could deduce, you know, something right, from them. Yeah. But I guess I had this bad connotation in my head with the word persuasive because. When I hear it, especially next to divisive, honestly, when I hear it, it makes me think like nefarious persuasion. Sort of like uh, manipulation. Yeah, of yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. It was hard. It wasn't hard, but it was a thing I had to move past in my head when I was looking it up. <laughs> was like, this is a good thing. That's fair. It was just weird. I, I gathered the initial intent from it. So, we started on two different pages. Yeah, but yeah. I could see where that would get mixed up. Yeah, persuasive. Well, persuasion, right, just as a word, means to convince someone of something. Her, her. Right. But you yeah. can still be right and doing that. If you're right, you want to be doing that, I guess. But I could see where you're saying we're negative. There are yeah. negative emotions attached to the term persuasion. Mm-hmm. I think what I learned this week was more along the lines of I don't remember if I mentioned this earlier. I was getting to it when I was talking, but I don't remember if I said it or not. But what I, what I learned was that personal responsibility is really what matters because it's going to take the intelligence and the self-awareness to step away when you're trapped in that echo chamber that allows you to play a part in the reinforce the battleground of divisive politics. I use politics as an example, obviously, but it's the biggest. Yeah. One of the biggest problems of divisive discourse is that it, once it begins, it's like a snowball effect because the loudest voices are going to be heard and the loudest voices are going to be the ones that are emphasizing the, divisiveness i think it was in the atlantic that i read this article in but it was about how influencers play a part because they did a study i don't think it was a a big study but i mean just for general terms we're not drawing hard you know science to build policy on here but just saying they did a small study that where they broke apart people into their separate groups. I think it was politics, but so they broke apart people into their separate groups and then they put them together. They put them in an echo chamber, basically. So they put them with like-minded people and then isolated them and they they exchanged ideas and they like talked about all of these issues. They gave them things to discuss and they went back and forth. They talked, they passed ideas. I don't know how much time they gave them. I would assume this wasn't a rapid session. Right. Right. Yeah. And then they got back together and then they reevaluated the, then they reevaluated the people 
And what they found out was their views hadn't gotten more extreme. It was that their views had actually gotten more moderate. So the influence had the influence hadn't had an echo chamber effect. It was a a more averaging effect. Right? Wait, no, we talked How about odd. the challenging of ideas. Yeah, and when people yeah. in your even in your in group, it act, it can actually go the other direction than what you'd think. But so when you compare that to today, you're like, why doesn't that happen, right? And they posit in this article that it's because so many voices are louder than others in say social media, right? You have these influencers. We all understand what that means. People that have the ability to affect change within a group. Those people that have an inordinate amount of influence shift the perspective greater than if everyone had a level playing field, a round table style acceptance of ideas. That, right. that was one of the things I was going to bring up. One of the strongest boons of persuasive discourse is everyone gets an even amount of weight to their words, no matter how long they talk. Wait. So he's saying that every person is listened to equal. Yeah, they're, they all have equal weight or equal influence, right? It's the opposite of the yeah. influencer hypothesis. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. It's equality among the individuals that share the idea. And so the idea can't, the average can exist among the group yeah. rather than it being a sort of top down. Yeah. I say top down from the influencer, yeah. I guess. There is a teacher that actually puts this to use in his class. I don't remember exactly what it, his, he teaches, but he gathers his semester of students and he puts them in a circle and chairs facing each other. And he says, okay, this is how we're going to be. And he sits in a chair, joins them in the circle. He said, for the rest of the semester, just think of me as a friend. Everything we're going to be talking about politics, whatever we get into, we are just discussing it. And that's the end of it. Oh, that is really we're just cool. talking. You can think of this as, as a free period if you want, but either way, we are sitting here and discussing whatever topic that. But he pulls. He sort of relinquishes that. I don't know. I don't want to say moral authority, but he relinquishes the authority that might disrupt, right, the dissemination of ideas. He goes so far as to. He asks everyone if there is any rules they would want to have during this yeah. round table. So they can all agree upon the rules. Yeah. Yeah. And then they go from there. I mean, it, of course, it's one of those, like, it's the epitome, right? That that peak performance. It's fascinating, though, to see it, like, enacted. Especially in an educational place yeah. where people are growing. I think a lot of people view, though, that's probably... This is an assumption here, but that's probably more of an exception than the rule in today's educational world. Yeah, Yeah. no, absolutely. I mean, but everything that I've seen has showed that to be a, a quickly disappearing function in 
the college scene, in the higher education. If you're not part of the left-wing party, you know, if you're not in that group, you're labeled and even canceled out of showing up and speaking or talking about topics that they deem inaccessible. And this culture is struggling to, I mean, they're barely holding together. I think, you know, earlier I said, I think it takes personal responsibility. And I think that's the only way it's going to change. You can't make someone else act a certain way. Right. That's just act. It's just impossible. And so the only thing you can do is act your way and the way you deem morally right. And the way you want to heal the country. And so I don't, I don't see any other way forward other than to do that. Well, that, without everyone taking responsibility for their actions. Yeah. I mean, and understanding that what they choose to do affects people. And not just understanding it. And this goes for me. When I say personal responsibility, I, I told you in the last episode, I mean, I've seen ramifications from participating in this culture in this sort of social battlefield as it's viewed now, instead of, instead of a social community, of course I'm talking online right now. That's mostly what we'll talk about today because that's another main focal point is you don't really see this type of language when you get in touch with someone's humanity. Yeah, exactly. It's- when you're face to face, it, the, your ability to connect to someone I, the, someone else's ideas is dramatically strengthened. Well, I think that it's also because we always come back to this, but it forces you to recognize their individuality, right? Mm-hmm. It forces you to see them as a person. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's just a thing, you know, in our brains, it's like, yeah, you, when, you're when, looking- when you're doing it over the internet, there's no, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's just, there's no physical. You see, don't have you don't to take responsibility. Yeah. You're allowed to absolve yourself of that responsibility or ignore it or whatever. That's why I was saying the only solution is personal responsibility. Now, I don't know what that means for the future. Does that mean it won't work like it won't get repaired? Because that's not it's not a solution with a promised goal. You can only right. work on yourself. Right. Right. So I don't know. In that Pew research paper, there was something I wanted to bring up. Hold on. There was a lot of good stuff in that Pew research paper. I It really highlighted the fact that both parties are guilty of it. Yeah. Well, they're guilty of participating, which I think it wouldn't, exist if both parties weren't well, guilty. Yeah. But they also agree that it's a problem. Right. A, a general agreement among both parties yeah. says that they're unhappy with today's politic political debate. Yeah. Here it is. This really surprised me because it well I'll just say it. Most Democrats, seventy eight percent, say it's very important for Republican elected officials to treat democratic officials with respect. Only about half, 47%, say it's very important for officials from their party to treat Republican candidates with respect. And it's pretty much the same way, uh, vice versa, the percentages are pretty much the same for Republicans. It just highlights the fact that 
you're okay with treating the other party differently. Right. It's like, that's so fundamentally wrong in the debate setting. It's yeah. like, how is this? Yeah. Did you how see, are you here right now? How do you have your job? Did it's you crazy. See, did you see the uh, one about the insults? Yeah, that one seemed level though, didn't it? Keep in mind what you just said. Yeah. 25% total between the two parties. They say it is acceptable to do this. 25% say it is acceptable to say their opponent is unif- ununiformed in their issues. Jumping up to the top percents, 93% of people say it is never acceptable for elected officials to deliberately mislead people about their opponent's record. 93%? 93%. Yeah, I mean, it's, really? it's just basic. It's saying they're... Never. 93% believe um, that it's never acceptable to right. mislead... Oh about your opponents oh, okay, yeah. yeah 91% it's just saying yeah right. that you're an all out liar yeah at that is point, what they're yeah, saying yeah, yeah, 91% say it is never acceptable to say something negative about the opponent's appearance right that's insulting dropping back down to the bottom the 40 41% say it is never or sorry never slash rarely acceptable to raise their voice to emphasize their point hmm what about so, so at this point you're saying there's like there's hypocrites a, within they generally say that debate should be formal and hospitable I guess yeah like on even ground respected re- re- yeah just the even yeah. and then you look Respect. back at the the one that says uh, half of the percent yeah, half of them yeah. just don't care about treating the other one with respect. It's become a little bit of a, I mean, a circus, you know? And I think that when Trump was running and elected, it hit this fever pitch, you know, because he sort of egged it on. He was doing those type of things. He was insulting people. He wasn't a politician. He was creating that firebrand. He didn't care. You know what I'm saying? It didn't matter what you said. He was just not. Yeah. He was going to not care. And he was just going to do it again. Yeah. He was going to do what he wants to do. I think he- that he had recognized what. And I'm not attributing motives to him. Right. And I don't know. Right. But anyway, that's aside. Talking about Donald Trump leads us into something that I wanted to bring up. But he was consistently labeled extremist names. And in that Pew Research poll, it was mentioned all of the the discussion about removing offensive language and, and what people consider offensive yeah, language yeah. and the responsibility of the social media companies. And all that stuff. that's a discussion that we didn't have as part of the divisive discourse, but oh, we did yeah. talk about the, um, just today you mentioned the voices being equally heard and how that's important, right? Coming from the perspective, the only perspective that I know in the conservative circles, a lot of conservatives feel their views are suppressed in the current situation on social media with the fact checking being biased and the shadow banning and the account canceling was rampant, all of that. And so I don't, 
I think that may be some, a separate issue, obviously, to address, but I think that it contributes to the fact that some people feel like they can't talk and they can't be vocal about the way that they feel or believe, and that those, when they feel silent, it contributes to this sort of tribal atmosphere where they feel like they have to jump in on the fight. Does that make sense? Yeah. It should be noted, a lot of left-wing people also have the same problem. I've had several friends' accounts get banned for no reason, permanently. And they just have to make another one, raise back however many, you know, followers they had. Uh, and the same goes for influencers. Especially, some. there were some bigger influencers that That's I followed true. on the left that had... 250 300,000 followers got shadow banned had to make a whole new account so it's it's a problem for both sides and it's not because of either side specifically it's the people that run these apps who are affected by one side or the other well i think that i have to disagree i think that it is biased i think that it is one way it's very clear that big tech takes the side of the liberal theology. There's been many, I don't know if you call them defectors, whistleblowers, I don't know, content moderators that have left the organizations, Twitter, Facebook, Google, all of that, who have released documents and, and done personal interviews about rampant political ideologies that take hold in those places and about what what ideas are suppressed and how and why and, and how intentionally it's done. I'm not discounting that there aren't liberal accounts that get lost. I'm just saying in the in the larger game game. It it is a political in, game. In the bigger picture, yeah. um, I and this is a personal belief. I didn't pull data on this uh, for this discussion which it's hard to do when they, when banning is this sort of it's hidden, right? Right. It's yeah. not, it's not like I can pull out clear statistics. I'm only going by the voices that I've heard, but from what I can tell, in my opinion, it seems one-sided or at least largely so. And there is a clear distinction when the fact checking happens to pop up only on only on the issues that, and that's a whole nother ball game. We can get into this fact checking deal and the companies that own them and who they're ran by and all of that. It's, <laughs> it goes to this grand narrative that we've talked yeah. about before or that we talked about last week and how this, this story that wants to be told by those that are in power is, inherently part of the problem and part of what's driving the problem. I said a few weeks ago, I don't know if you remember this, that I didn't feel like the system is at a point where it needs to be torn down. Do you remember that? We were talking, I forgot what we were talking about. I don't know. I don't even know if it made it into the cut, but when we were talking, I specifically was, remember saying that. I think it was during our, uh, feminism oh that may be the case yeah. yeah i don't know if it made it through the cut but i did say i feel like that um there is a lot of division 
and I do feel like there is major problems. I'm a little bit unsure about the future of the system. You know, I don't know how much longer we can continue if the wedge is able to be driven by people that can't be held personally responsible. People that can do it without being noticed. Well, even people being noticed doing it, and they're just seen as these figures of power. Have you seen the, I've just forgotten the name of it. I think I might've even told you about it before. It was that movie that um, talks about the algorithms. And I did, I told you. About you it. did. I forgot what it's called now. Do you remember what it's called? No. But had, ah. had to do with the algorithms and how they, how they exacerbate the problem. Yeah. Because when division is created, it, the AI interprets that division as a positive gain because of the, the interaction. I mean, this is intentional. It's not, I I say algorithm. They use the algorithm, but those in the social media powerhouse understand it but they also don't know how to get out of the feedback loop because engagement and, and monetization all revolve around or well, engagement and monetization are all intertwined. It's all about the interaction with people that are like-minded. Well, and if they interact outside of that group, the engagement skyrockets when it's a divisive issue. So the more the algorithm engages you on divisive issues, the longer your eyeballs stay on the screen. Right. And so that turns into a feedback loop. And there's no in in that in that movie, they say if you think that you are smarter than the billion dollar AI that is sole purpose is to keep you glued to that screen. You're kidding yourself. And it tracks every, it tracks how long you ho- like have an app on, on screen. Yeah. Like it, if you're scrolling past it, 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 you pause it measures how many microseconds like, do you look at an individual photo. Yeah. 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 And it, and, but click engagements and, and, text interactions, all of it is reoriented to reinforce the negative engagement that you already have and double down on it because that's where they can make more money. Mm -hmm. And that's just part of the issue. But I, as a conservative, I feel like I can't say anything on social media. I feel like I can't. I I will lose too many people if I actually try to discuss what I feel. And I'll be viewed as radical. I mean, they already know I share things. They know. But, like, I can't engage. As a, yeah, as a dialogue. Right, I can't. Yeah. Now, part of that is my fault. I acknowledge that, like I talked about last episode. You know, I've been part of this 
culture war. And because I've acted like a part of this culture war, then I need to fight back. When I do engage, I'm more combative than I used to be. Right. And a lot of times after I put the phone down, I realize that's not who I am. But somehow that machine, like when you, it's just, <laughs> and I'm not ugly. I'm just saying I'm not persuasive anymore. Right. And I'm not connecting with the human being that's on the other end of it. And so I'm part of the problem. And I used to pride myself on my ability to look at issues objectively. And it just came back to me. What I was digging for earlier. Okay, so in that, this ties into what I was just saying. In that video, that TED Talk video you'll see posted on Facebook. In this video, she talks about separating in in a persuasive conversation. Oh, she relates it to debate. She she was a award winning the speaker was an award winning debate champion. I think okay. I watched the video you're talking about. It was a TED Talk. Yeah. Okay. So in that talk, she talks about how it's important to separate in your discussion or whatever your, whatever issue you're dealing with, even if it's online, right? The core issue is to talk about the topic, talk about the idea. You have to leave the individual person out of the conversation because what you two are discussing is an idea. That's one of the largest things for a debate club is facts. Right. And that was her point. Yeah. Yeah. Is because what they're going to do is in the debate, you don't know what opinion you're going to have to defend. Right. And so it teaches you the fact that, that debating doesn't have anything to do with the person that you're talking to. Right. Right. And so my, my personal responsibility in all of this is the fact that I am, I went from what I used to be proud of. That used to be me. I used to feel like I could keep myself from stooping low enough to making the assumptions and being biased and not dealing with the idea at its core issue at its core. Right. And it was a little difficult to come to realize that that wasn't me now because it was something that I used to pride myself on. And so that got tougher, you know, for me to realize that, okay, this is something that you personally need to work on. And that was why I sort of connected with the issue of personal responsibility in all of this. And like I said, I don't know if that's a fix because other, if other people don't do it and, and it's going to be a struggle for me too. But I think because the issues became so passionate, there was some shift that I didn't notice. We, we had talked about this, yeah. uh, especially because the shift has gone from personal beliefs in the political realm. I mean, gone from personal beliefs and rights to rights of groups and then we go from individuals to groups and we lead back to this all the time but but we we've gone to this thing where we focus too little on the individual the end of the 
feminism discussion. And we had talked about uh, these were things that we weren't willing to give up on because they, they're too intrinsic, right? They're the base value of the individual. And we've moved away from that. And that's something you're passionate about, so it makes sense, right? Because that has become the almost the central focus of today's politics is the group versus the individual. I mean, so we're here. We're at this position where everybody knows the state of discourse in the country. I mean, we can go through the the Pew article, the 10 pages that says everybody disagrees. You can go look at it, guys, but please do. Yeah, there's a lot of good information in there. We can't go through all of it, but it, it was a seriously good article. Any of the stuff we shared in the comments, there's some good information there, but it's clear that we all agree that we're doing this terribly. Yeah. Right. But to make a U-turn, I, I don't know where that leaves us. So we all agree that this isn't where we want to be, but. I think everyone can't find the right step forward. Cause I don't know if. Well, even if we decided on, let's just say us three, right. This small little community of guys yeah. decided that they were all going to do things right again and they were going to interact properly. What? That's not a movement. Right. Right. It's a change of personal behavior. I mean, your phone is a is a portable slot machine. It just dumps dopamine into your brain all day long. And our idea on this podcast or that TED video or whatever it feels a little hopeless because is it what it's going to affect a movement of people? I feel terrible because I sound so disparaging of the future <laughs> of this, but, like but I it don't is, know any other way to say you never know who you're going to reach, right? You never know who's going to see a post or who's going to see like the podcast or it's, it, well, I don't want to say it's random because it's not, but it's, to you as a person, it's random. So to try and inform people that this is a step that we can take, it feels random. And that you can't form a plan around random. So maybe I just need to change my perspective, I guess. Perspective on what? Or for what? Well... Okay, so when I have trouble in my personal life, as I've learned through counseling, it matters the way I see myself. You know, if I'm super self-critical all the time, I can't get out of that. I do nothing. I, it paralyzes me. So it matters the way I talk about myself to myself, you know, and I think that maybe that matters here too. You know, I've, I've, feel a little hopeless, but if I just consistently reinforce that, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is we have a platform, a small one, one that we share between us really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I think at this level, you know, even if we're starting as individuals, if we say, 
let's look at it as the step. Jordan Peterson has this same perspective on the meaning of life and finding your worth and fixing the world. It's just, he has this famous saying where he says, clean up your room. Yeah. But he's basically saying, tidy up your section of the world. You can't go clean up the world until you clean up your own, you know, until you clean yourself up, until you pick yourself up and you straighten out your life around you and you make it beautiful. Then you can go forward and carry that out somewhere else. You know, he, he starts by saying this, this is more personal related than this social media stuff, but you know, the more beautiful and organized and straight you make your life and your room, even if you, even if it's one room in your house, you know, make it the most beautiful room you have. And then it's going to, it's going to spread. You're going to want to do it. You're going to yeah. want to make it. You're going to see that one and bigger. room and then you see the other room and be like, yeah. And so it's just about, that's what I was sort of relating it to this social media. Maybe I'm looking at it wrong instead of feeling hopeless. Maybe I should be saying, I'm going to clean up my room. I'm going to take my one step. Right. And if I make this little part, of social media, my little part of social media still meaningful. I can still interact, but I have to do it with intentionality and I have to do it where I respect other people. And if that's, if that's the sacrifice that I have to make, and maybe it's the only place that I see that's like that. So be it. You know what I mean? I like it. I didn't want that to sound self-aggrandizing, though. It's not like I'm going to be the only positive little island on Facebook. I'm just saying I, I want to represent that. I had only seen it once, and I wasn't sure if it was an entirely different thing. But I came across uh, internal persuasive discourse, which, if I understood it correctly, I mean, it's mostly the same thing, except just internally like when you're speaking to others you're also like leaving yourself open to be persuaded and like open to new ideas but but, but the idea is that you're sort of intellectually available yes, yes and still you know keeping you know equal ground with who you're talking to uh, provided that they're also persuasive and I mean, that's just what it comes down to. And also, I wanted to say earlier that I didn't really realize how representative this podcast is of persuasive discourse or like against divisive discourse, at least. Yeah, Chris had mentioned it in the uh, Candor episode. The person who submitted the topic, Rick V., he must have really understood counter encounter because yeah. it, boy, is that what we're trying to do? Right? Here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think right after you read the topic, I basically said, this is sort of our motto in a way. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. It's like, and it was like, it's true. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> it, I mean, I, I think I originally said it's in our name. Well, it's not really in our name. It's in our. Oh, yeah. It's in yeah, our uh, mission yeah, statement. That's what I said. Yeah. It's in our mission statement, which we don't really have a mission statement. But <laughs> I mean, by the words candor encounter and the many times we've talked on the show about how we're just going to share and how we're going to try to reach a consensus. That's just I mean, that's sort right. of a definition of what persuasive yeah. discourse is going to be. Honestly, also divisive discourse wasn't always the term I came across. I assume it was all the same thing, but I came across like argumentative discourse or like, I assume yeah, that's I, all the same thing though. There were a, a couple of different ways to describe it. I, it's sort of a general term for unhealthy discourse. Yeah. You know, anything that isn't productive in discourse would be disruptive or divisive i i jumped off the topic earlier but i did want to jump back in and say how do you guys feel about online content moderation what do you mean i mean do you feel like it's appropriate do you feel like it should happen i feel like if you created a platform like twitter then the moderation should be like if any because I mean, the whole reason I assume they made the app, right, is to people connect and, and talk and hash out ideas and stuff like that. And when you're banning people, that's just the antithesis of that. It's like, why'd you make the app then if you're just going to silence people? That's the problem. The stopping point is arbitrary. Yeah, it's, what do you mean? it's decided by the person who... I mean, the company can... Yeah. yeah, and they're totally within their right to do it. I just think it's, like, hypocritical. I think, yeah. I mean, I guess it's not hypocritical because having a marketplace of ideas isn't their goal anymore. It's money, right? So, But I think it's just. It's not like... It, it they're, gets, they're not in the wrong, really. It's just like, oh, okay. You mean it, legally? Yeah. Yes. Morally... It is where we get questionable, right? Because, like, imagine I own an app and it's completely free. There's no ads, and I just created it on an online platform so people could talk, similar to how Facebook does, but without all the ads. And you get it. And then I said, everything is free except I'm going to ban who I want. I'm going to silence, moderate how I like. Granted, that's hard for me to say because honestly, I would make it and then just take my hands off and see yeah. where it went. But yeah, for someone to do that is morally questionable to me. For someone to take control of somebody's words that they decided that they were going to put on online. Yeah, it is. And it, it, it while it's not legally wrong it to me it is morally questionable so in the pew research polls by a wide margin 66 percent to 32 percent more people say social media companies have a responsibility to remove offensive content from their platforms than say they do not have this responsibility so 66 percent of people believe that social media companies should be removing offensive content, but just 
have a great deal or fair amount of confidence in these companies to determine what offensive content should be removed. All of this stems because of the difficulty to know what others may find offensive. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it just goes into. Which is... This actually goes back to um, the language and what people would find offensive as far as the language goes. Well, we talked about this before, about being offended. Yeah. And our opinions on being offended. And unless we haven't changed those opinions, we believe that if you accept the... I mean, the research done by Pew. Oh, oh okay. Uh, percent who say it's hard to know what others might find offensive. Majorities say people do not agree on what is seen as racist, sexu- sexist language. 48% have no idea. Yeah, how can you form a consensus... How can you be banning the right people when half the people on there don't agree with you that you're banning the right people? 61% do not generally agree on what is considered racist. Right. And 65% disagree on what is considered sexist. Yeah. The lines get so blurry, especially because... They're not even blurred. That 65% of people, that's a massive margin of people that disagree. Yeah, yeah. And that, well, that's what I'm saying. The term or the label of racism and sexism, it's been applied over liberally. It's been applied to too much. It's been overused to the point where people lose the ability to trust the label. Right. Exactly. When somebody hears somebody else being called racist, they either rush to defend them or, or, rush to attack them with their group because they know either this is being falsely thrown at someone irresponsibly. And it's, I don't know. It's that boy who cried wolf situation. You know, it's, you just done it so many times and now people are like, okay. Yeah. And so it, it doesn't have the desired effect. And then, but then people are getting banned for the stuff that they're getting accused for. It just, it gets out of hand. I know we talked about, or I talked about the personal responsibility aspect of it, but there is a problem in these upper structures that I don't, that there has to be some solution. Right. I mean, when you're just a private company and you want to control your editing the way that you want to do it, that's one thing. But these bigger games that are being played are, these are elitist games. These are manipulative games. And that is something that in this country, in game, I believe, does not belong here. Because it's being played against players who can't play the game. And if anyone, I swear, if anyone uses the excuse like, well, then you can just make another platform. No, you can't. You can, and then it dies. The I'm, argument that if you don't like this platform, just make your own Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And I, are you referencing Parlor? No, but no. So well, that's a great example. Then I don't know if you yeah, know. The, I've heard of Parlor. The birth and death of Parlor. Yeah, but I mean, they have a level of power that is like unprecedented, Un- unattainable. I mean, yeah. It is normally. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> once you reach that level of power and you can crush anyone who sticks their head up. Millions upon millions of people flock to Parlor on day one. Really? 
Oh, yes. It was. Every conservative I know got on Parler day one. It was wild. It crashed their servers Im- immediately. It was very quickly. It was an echo chamber. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I'm not here to defend. I don't think. Anything Parler. on Parler. Right. That's not my point. My point is this is a free country and they should have been able to do that. Absolutely. But every big tech company involved with it crushed them. I'm talking about a lot of people lost millions of dollars as they went to build parlor. A lot of people went over there. I started going there every day and I was communicating with other conservatives and I was following and they weren't silencing and they weren't, and it was what it was supposed to be. It was what they had promised and it was what conservatives had been looking for. I'm not saying it was perfect. I'm not saying it didn't have faults. I'm not glorifying parlor. You don't have to. It's an app. Right. Okay? But it was somewhere that I wanted to go and it was, it was going to gain traction. I have, I have heard of other apps people have pointed me to, to like communicate with, with other conservatives. Like Gab maybe. Yeah. And none of them panned out. Really? <clears throat> They've all just been sort of, they flop as a communication platform overall. And they didn't have the reach that Facebook did. But when Parler got its name out, it spread like wildfire. And it it was, I saw it happen and I was part of it. Parler was massive for maybe like 14 days. Like as a name that was. It literally lasted less than a month. Then what happened is they were systematically removed from every app store available. I mean, just stripped right out really? of every, no, yes. Every app store available pulled them. So now they had no, they had no way to do updates. They had no way to get new people, nothing. So they were told by Google and Apple, you must come up with content moderation or you cannot be on our app store. So they were forcing them to do the one thing that they were not going that to. they were not going right. to do. Well, Parler had gained a lot of traction, and even though it was going to hurt them, they stayed off the App Store for a bit, and they kept releasing. You could download the app. Yeah. Yeah, like APKs. Yeah. Well, I guess you couldn't do it on Apple because they lock it down. But anyway, so people are still on. They're still posting. I was don't. I was on it. Then they went down. Out of nowhere, they went down. You log in one day, it was gone. Turns out, Amazon. They ran their servers through Amazon Web Services. So Amazon owned their servers. Right. They just shut them down. And Amazon just shut them down. Oh, my God. They just said, we're done. You can't have have this. So then they scrambled, and they went and secured more servers for the entirety of the parlor app. They put it back online, and then were forced, I think in litigation, I may be wrong. I don't remember how. But they were forced into content moderation. To get back on the app stores. They couldn't reach any. Right. So they started content moderation and that killed them because their user base came for freedom of speech. Well, I mean, how much content moderation did they have to implement? Well, here's the thing. It, it didn't matter because any amount. The, is- well, here's the way the conservatives who were flocking to parlor. Here's the way they looked at it. 
they just put the noose around your neck. Mm, right. And you bowed and you, you let them do it. Right. 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 And now it's on there and they know they have you. So the leash is on. That's it. Now it's time to walk the dog. Right. There was no hope after that. Parlor died. Shoot. Millions of people left as quickly as they came. And this has happened several times over the years with multiple apps. The, the tech companies run the show. And when they get together, it's a wash. Look, you could create the greatest app, the greatest service could reach the most people. And they're either going to swallow you up and buy that idea or they're going to crush you into oblivion. And this has nothing to do with this. This has little to do with divisive discourse, but the power that these people wield the power that we have given them, the power that I have given them. I mean, I, I, my house is filled with Amazon products. I'm conflicted because I fed the beast. That's part of this kind of thing. It, it should be noted that the the big players in any, in any sense, as far as like Facebook goes, Google, Apple, doesn't matter. Actually anything like Walmart, the only way they are not illegal is because they have made deals with one or two other big companies to prevent being a monopoly. Oh, yeah. Well, they have lawyers that plan this out. Yeah. Just how to map out the business so that they're not caught and trapped in monopoly uh, antitrust laws. Yeah. And there's a lot of that going on, though. I think it comes down to not looking at whether divisiveness is bad because we've been through that already. It is. We agree. It is. I don't see any way that it's going to be helpful. And so I think more importantly is for me to just say that accountability wise to listeners, to the public, to you guys, like, I just think it's more important that we acknowledge each other going forward. I think that's really the only way. And then we need to tackle these we need to be a part of the discussion and support those that are being silenced. Cause I think that the community can regulate itself. I, I think also this topic helped, helped give us a, a new perspective slightly on how we're doing the podcast. We all knew how we were going to approach each topic candidly open with each other keep judgment free from the whole discussion. And I think this just solidified it into a idea that we didn't necessarily knew existed. One we didn't voice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or clearly state. Yeah, I I agree. I agree with that. I think that it's something that we recognize is going to be part of us here at Candor Encounter. Certainly. I like that we ran into it. I do too. I think, I hope this episode reaches a lot of people because especially, you know, on your, on the internet or, or on your phone, it's a lot, a lot easier to be divisive. So I'd like to try to spur people to engage more productively and, and not create this division. It would be nice. Remind yourself that you're talking to a person. Exactly. 
I wanted to bring something up that may or may not make it into this episode. But I wanted to bring something up. And it's in reference to how I move forward in Candor Encounter and what perspective I take. In the past episodes, there's been a real analytical take on everything that we've ran across. And I've tried to look at every topic very analytically. I don't know any other way to say it. Mm -hmm. But when I come away from the episode and I do a lot of editing, I listen to the episode three, four times. I listen to it after we release it. And, and I think back to things that I say and how I'm tackling the issue. And I feel this disconnect between the listener and what I'm talking about. I don't know how to explain what I'm saying here. It sounds a little aloof. Exactly what you mean. But maybe our listeners know what I'm saying. And I want you to know that I recognize it. I don't know what it is that caused it. I think it has something to do with I'm trying to be too analytical. There's very little personal experience in a lot of those episodes. Yeah. There's very little practical it doesn't experiential feel- information. There's very little there's very little connection other than the philosophy. And I'm I like the philosophy. I think that's something we should continue to delve into. But let's take an example. The episode Actually, let's just take this one, for example. All of our brains sort of went to what are the pros of divisive language? Like, what are the... But every normal human being out there was going, what? (laughs) What are you doing? Like, (laughs) I realize that we are supposed to analyze things. I I think it's because we like to challenge ourselves to find the the opposite side. Even though, even if we know... That we won't be able to find it. Right. I think I think that's good. Right. I'm not saying that looking at all avenues isn't good. I'm saying if we're only tossing about definitions and talking about things hypothetically, I think we miss something. And I don't want to leave behind what we have worked on. I don't want to leave behind our ability to sort of dissect the idea of the topic. But I also realize that a lot of this stuff that I feel about the topic comes out in the counter episode, mm-hmm. but that's totally appropriate for okay. the candor yeah. episode. Is that making sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of the stuff I said today, I already knew a lot of the stuff that I said in the women's rights episode, David, we spent an hour rehashing yeah. the candor aspect of our experiences and 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 beliefs around feminism. I think that was a step when we realized we we weren't being personable or we not completely candid. I don't know how to like describe it. I feel like we were isolating the candor episode to only the philosophy and the 
analytics behind the question. And we are not afraid to speak on it personally, but intimidated in a slightly no, yeah. intellectual way. Something that comes with candidness is fear. And I think that's fair to say. Yeah, we acknowledge it. Yeah. I think that's what kind of overtook us was the that hesitancy. And once we realized after the week of research and realizing we were right in our assumptions, we became more confident in that that thought process that we were having. But I guess I want to bring out I want to bring out our ability to open a little bit in the candor episode. And I don't think that we've been dishonest. I just feel like we are trying to be too literal in the candor episodes. And we're trying to, I know we're trying to stick to an ideal. We're trying to stick to that piece of paper with the topic. You know what I mean? And we feel like if we stray from it, if we're not tackling it very specifically, then we are not doing our job. But I think our job is to relate as much as we feel and understand about the topic to the listener, right? That's our job. I don't know. I don't know if I'm talking in circles. I just wanted to put something into words that I've been feeling, but haven't really spoken about. So I didn't, you know, to sort of go stumble through it. But I think that's it for us today, guys. Thank you for listening. We have a page on Facebook that you can find, Canner Encounter. Uh, If you do find our posts on Facebook, please leave a comment. Even if it's on a previous episode we've done, we always look into them and do research because we're always wanting to learn more. We also have a link that you can submit to at cannerencounter.com slash submit. So if you'd like to, please do. If you wanted to submit a topic, that would be great. We would appreciate it. And we, we appreciate you for being here. So thank you for that. And remember that the person on the other side of the screen is another human like all right guys it means so much to us that you tuned in we really appreciate it and love you as a human being take care so until next time see you Glad you guys could join us. Thanks for listening. To be continued. Was that, was that a question? That sounded inquisitive. <laughs> it's all right. It's all good. I don't like it. I like it. It was like, to, to be continued?